Well, good morning. Like Dustin said, my name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here. and want to welcome you and wish you a Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, we are, as can be expected, in our Christmas series uh, that we're going to conclude today. That we've titled Advent, Why He Came, and looking at the reasons why Jesus came, why Jesus was born. Now, as we begin this morning, I don't need to remind you, I'm sure, that we are entering into an election season. That over the course of the next 10 to 11 months, there's going to be a lot of talk about promises, about promises uh, from current candidates who are making promises uh, to all the American people of what they will accomplish or uh, what they plan to accomplish when they're, if they're elected to office. We're going to hear a lot about promises fulfilled or unfulfilled. Uh, many of the current politicians who may be running for re-election will be judged by whether or not they fulfilled their campaign promises from the previous election cycle at all levels of government. Because when you make a promise, whether it's fulfilled or remains unfulfilled, says a lot about the character and the competency and the capabilities of a candidate. And so for the next 11 months, we're going to hear all kinds of things about promises, promises being made and promises fulfilled or unfulfilled. And in many ways, that's what we're going to talk about and look at this morning together. And so if you want to follow along, you can do so in the Bible app. All the scriptures that we're going to cover are going to be laid out there for you. Uh, or there's a Bible underneath your seat or the one in front of you if you want to follow along there as well. There'll be times we'll move a little quickly. And so the Bible app may be a little bit easier. But as we're looking in this series at the reasons why Jesus came, we, we decided to take the approach of looking at Jesus' own words to see what does Jesus say about his own coming? What does Jesus have to say about why he came? And so this morning, we're going to start in a passage in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, this is what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, Dustin actually covered this same verse just a couple weeks ago. And as he spent our time together in the scriptures, we looked at how Jesus came to fulfill the law, how Jesus came to fulfill all the, the requirements that were made in the Old Testament, the part of your Bible that was written before Jesus, uh, how Jesus came to fulfill all the obligations of the Old Testament law that we couldn't, and that in himself he perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so this morning, I actually want to look at the second part of this verse that Jesus says, I did not come to abolish not only the law, but also the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Now, it would be practically impossible for us to look at all the prophecies made about the coming of the Messiah, of the Christ, of Jesus in the Old Testament, but we can at least look at a few to give us a basis for understanding how Jesus came to fulfill all that was written before him about his coming, the things that we find, statements that we find in the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just go on a journey of taking a survey at looking at some of the things that Jesus fulfilled that was promised long before he came. To do that, we're going to go to the very beginning of the Old Testament, the very first promise made 
about this coming Savior who would come one day to solve the problem that we all face in life, to solve the sin problem that's, that uh, we all suffer from. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is actually God speaking to Satan concerning uh, his ultimate destiny. And this is what God says in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some of you may be more familiar with the NIV reading of that that states that you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And so even from the very beginning, here's what we realize that God's ultimate answer to the problems that we face in life and in this world would come from a woman. In the New Testament, as, as we're reflecting on the coming of Jesus, this is what it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That a part of God's solution that he was going to send, a part of the promise is that this solution was going to come from a woman. But there's more to it than just that. He also says that this answer, God's answer, will be Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, this is what we're told. This is the promise that an angel makes to Mary's betrothed, her fiancé, Joseph. Verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Jesus coming from the old Hebrew word that means Yahweh or God saves. And so not only would God's answer come from a woman, but God's answer would literally be God with us, Emmanuel. But the promises take it even further. As we see in Isaiah chapter 9, that this human answer that would come from a woman would not only be God with us, would be God himself. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we read about Jesus and his coming in the New Testament, John 1.1 says, And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
just a few chapters later in John, maybe one of the verses that is most well known, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so God's answer, the promise made about this answer was that it would come from a woman, that it would be God with us, but that this son born of a woman would in fact be God himself. And the promises continue. In Isaiah chapter 53, we discover that this answer, this human answer that was God himself, would come to be a suffering servant. The entire chapter 53, Isaiah, is about the suffering servant. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you, but let me just read a few highlights of what was said about this, this solution that God would send, his answer, this suffering servant. Verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, this answer from God was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. Verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This answer from God that would come from a woman, this answer that would be not only God with us, but would be very, the very God himself would come to suffer, would come to serve and to suffer. This is exactly what Jesus said about himself. This was the passage in Mark 10.45, the very first thing we looked at in this Advent series this season, Mark 10.45, where Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' birth was an impossible birth, a miraculous birth. Most of the time when we think about this miraculous birth of Jesus, our thoughts go to the virgin birth. No doubt, miraculous in and of itself. But all of the events and details of Jesus' life are miraculous and full of divine intervention and foreplanning. If we were to survey all the prophecies in the Old Testament this morning, we would have to look at more than 300 passages in the Old Testament, all the things that were prophesied that would be true of God's coming answer, the answer that he promised in the Messiah, in the Christ, that would be fulfilled in this one person. And what are the likelihood that all of those things could be true in one person? Well, actually, someone tried to solve that problem and come up with an answer. What is the likelihood that all these things could be true in one person? And so uh, many decades ago, 
there was an academic professor named Dr. Peter Stoner. Uh, he was professor emeritus uh, of science at Westmont College, later professor emeritus of uh, mathematics and, astro- and astronomy um, at Pasadena City College. And he set out to determine what might be the likelihood that all these things could come true in one person. And so he incorporated his students in one of his statistics classes to help him put a number to it. Now, there are certain things that you can't really come up with a statistical probability for. Being born of a virgin, that one's kind of hard to statistically uh, calculate. But there are a lot of things that you can calculate. Like, for example, uh, in Micah 5.2, this prophecy would have come 700 years before Jesus was actually born. But it was prophesied that God's answer would be born in Bethlehem. Now, statistically, you can, you can come up with a number of how likely that is to happen. All you have to know is what probably what the population of the town of Bethlehem was. You can then calculate um, what are the likelihood that there will be babies born in Bethlehem in any given year. And then you can calculate what it's the likelihood that one of them will be a boy. And you can compare that to what would be the world population at the time. And so you can actually come up with a number for some of these things. And so here's some examples like being born in Bethlehem. That prophecy was made 700 years before Jesus was born. Other things like he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which was prophesied in Zechariah over 500 years before Jesus would be born. That one seems a little odd, but when you recognize that in the Old Testament times, we learn in Exodus that 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. That's the value of a slave's life in the ancient world. And so when you realize that, you're like, well, there actually were probably multiple people who 30 pieces of silver was used as the price for their life. So that's something you could determine statistically. The fact that his clothes were gambled away that we read about in Psalm 22 made more than a thousand years before Jesus would be born. When someone was killed, if they had no one to inherit their possessions, someone took possession of it if it was worthy of it. And so there had to be a way to determine who's going to get it, who's going to get to claim these things if there's no natural person to inherit it. So uh, other things like in Psalm 22, again, more than a thousand years before Jesus would be born, it was prophesied that his hands and his feet would be pierced. A lot of people died by crucifixion in the ancient world. And so statistically, you can determine that probability. In Psalm 34, more than a thousand years before Jesus would be born, it was prophesied that though his hands and feet would be pierced, none of his bones would be broken when he was killed. That he would come from the Jewish tribe of Judah from Isaiah 37, 750 years before Jesus was born. That he would be called out of Egypt Certainly, you can determine the statistical probability of people who migrated from Egypt to Nazareth, as it was prophesied in Hosea chapter 11, 720 years before Jesus would be born, that he would be buried in a rich man's grave. We just read that one from Isaiah 53, a prophecy made 750 years before Jesus was born. And so what Dr. Peter Stoner did is he took eight non-supernatural prophecies about God's answer, about his, his promised Messiah or Christ. 
And so they went through with his students in his statistics class. He published all of this in a book called Science Speaks. Uh, it's no longer in print, but if you're willing to pay hundreds of dollars for an out-of-print book, you can still buy it. Um, and he published everything that they did and how they came to their statistical conclusions. So they took eight non-supernatural, so things that would happen um, without needing divine intervention, that just would happen to people in life, to determine the statistical probability of each one, and then they combined all those together. And just in the eight non-supernatural events that were prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus would even be born, they came to this ultimate conclusion, that the likelihood of all eight of those things happening to one individual in the ancient world were one or 10 to the 17th power. Now, it's been a long time since I took statistics. I'm guessing it's been a long time since a lot of you took statistics. Uh, some of you I know love statistics. Others of us, we just got through that class. But 10 to the 17th power is 100 quadrillion. So it's one with 17 zeros behind it. Um, here's, here's a great way to just mentally uh, put in your mind what that's like. 100, imagine a silver dollar, right? Some of you have seen those. Some of you probably have never seen those. But imagine something a little bigger than a quarter. You can, you can follow with me here. Okay, a silver dollar. If I took 100 quadrillion silver dollars it would fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Now, I want you to imagine that we wrote an X on one of those. And then we blindfolded you. And you got to go and pick one. What's the likelihood that in the entire state of Texas filled two feet deep, blindfolded, you could pick the only silver dollar that had an X on it? That is one out of a hundred quadrillion chances. So Jesus' birth, even aside from the supernatural, is miraculous in every way. Everything about his life, all 300 predictions and foreshadows of what God's answer would come, when he would come, how he would come, what he would do while he was here, and the ultimate purpose for his coming all speak to this unbelievable, miraculous event that changed the course of human history. So what does this tell us? I think the first thing that this tell us, tells us is the fact that Jesus' life took place and that in him all of these promises were fulfilled. There wasn't one that was left unfulfilled. Speaks to the truth of who Jesus said he was. I don't know if you've ever thought about playing the lottery. Some of you have, I'm sure. Some of you just, maybe you like to play it a lot. Maybe you were just in a gas station and you were like, ah, who knows, let's just do it. Do you know the odds to win the Powerball or the Mega Money, Mega Millions, whatever it's called? You know, it's one in 300 million. That's what your chances are of winning. The likelihood that Jesus would fulfill those promises, that statistical probability, is th it's three trillion times less likely to happen 
than you winning the Powerball or the Mega Millions. The fact that all of these things came true in one man speaks to the reality of, of how it could only be by God's hand. It's statistically impossible that anyone, aside from even the supernatural parts, could fulfill what Jesus came to fulfill. That in him, all the promises of God find their yes. But here's the other thing I think this speaks to, is it speaks and is a testament to God's proactive love for you. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 that we read earlier, I'm going to read it again. But when the fullness of time had, got, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come. Christmas and what follows lies deep in the Old Testament. At every turn, Jesus was fulfilling a role that was shaped by more than a millennium of prediction. No aspect of his life or his ministry was without deep anticipatory reflection. At the moment of Jesus' birth, the entire scope and focus of the Old Testament came into sharp relief. That when the fullness of time had come, all of God's promises were going to come true in one man. Our salvation is something God has been planning for a very long time. Outside of time, to be exact. Revelation 13.8 speaks of this as it says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. It was always part of the plan that Jesus would come and be that suffering servant for us. That he would come to die. From eternity, God has loved his people. Christmas is that visible demonstration of it and how long it had been in the planning and in the works. For not just decades, not even hundreds of years, but more than a thousand years that God had been making promises of when he sent his son to be the answer, what he would come to do and accomplish. Not only is Christmas the visible demonstration of it, but Calvary, when Jesus goes to the cross, was the cost of it. And his resurrection and ascension was the triumph and effectiveness of it. For to us, a child is born and a son is given. That God gave his son for us to fulfill all of his promises to be the solution to all the problems that we face in this life because our lives are marred by sin. And Jesus came to give his life for us. It's why he came, as he said in Mark 10, 45, not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christmas is a celebration that our God keeps his promises and every one of his promises are found in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
we first thank you for this time and this moment that you've given us this morning. A moment to stop, to slow down, to tune out all the busyness that comes with this time of year and season, to remember what it is that we're celebrating. Jesus, that in you, all of the promises are fulfilled. That all of God's promises find their yes in you, Jesus. That you came, not just born of a woman, but that you came as God to be God with us. So thank you for this moment. Jesus, thank you for your life that you gave for us. Thank you for this moment of celebration that reminds us that your rescue plan for for us was there from the beginning. That your love for your people precedes even time itself. That Christmas is a time to be reminded of the truth and of your love. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a minute. In our time of response, we're going to sing a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a song that you have probably sung every Christmas most of your life. In it, we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to thee, Israel, because these promises were made to Israel. And it's this anticipation that God would come to fulfill his promise. And in Jesus, he does. Later on in the song, we're going to sing, For all who wait, for all who hunger, for all who've prayed, for all who wonder. Behold your King, behold Messiah, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. We're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus And that in him, all of God's promises were fulfilled. And as we sing, we invite you to the table. The table that contains the bread and the cup. The bread that represents Jesus' broken body for us. The cup that represents the new covenant in his blood because of what he did on the cross for us. And if you are a believer and follower in Jesus this morning, we invite you to the table to partake of the bread, his body broken for you, the cup the new covenant of his blood, as we celebrate not only that he came, but why he came. Lord, thank you for this moment and this time that you've given us. May the way in which we respond to you be honoring to who you are and to why you came. We love you and pray this in your name.